KDOS AM 1060 on this Friday, March 3rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock today. We pop on out to the KDOS hotline right now, joined by James Herbert, CBSSports.com, to pick his brain about the world of the NBA. James, it's Bob and Kayla. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's start here in the Western Conference, and I want to start with the Denver Nuggets. They remain atop the standings and until further notice atop the power rankings in the West as well. Is it possible that Jokic has raised his game to another level yet again? But what has getting Jamal Murray back done to balance out this team? Yeah, I I think he is playing um, Jamal Murray, that is, I think he's playing at near an all-star level. Obviously, the all-star team this year, they were cautious with him at the beginning of the season in terms of his minutes load, in terms of, you know, resting on back-to-backs and things like that. Um, when the Nuggets are at their absolute best offensively, I mean, a lot of it still flows out of that Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic pick-and-roll, and it's a really dynamic pick-and-roll. It doesn't look like most pick-and-rolls um, in the NBA. They can even flip it around and have Murray act as Screener. like their offense is incredible it's been incredible all season long and it's not just sort of like in, in years past where it's Jokic getting the most out of a supporting cast where you're kind of like whoa like how are they how are they managing this um it's actually a really balanced um, starting unit now I mean with Murray back healthy Michael Porter Jr. back healthy and shooting the lights out and really buying into the role um that he has and you're also by the way getting a career year out of Aaron Gordon like the, the pieces all fit together extremely well. And, you know, I think this might, like, it's hard to kind of compare the seasons that Jokic has had over the past couple of years because he, he adapts his game and does what the team needs depending on the supporting cast that he has. So he's scoring a little bit less. He's scoring with insane efficiency. Um, I, the assists, I mean, he's almost leading the league in assists, putting together another MVP caliber season um and it's just it's just been kind of wild to see how you know it didn't happen like immediately out of the gate um but to see the pieces kind of come together like i think that those of us who are really optimistic about them thought they might i mean when the aaron gordon was trade was made um we only got to see that for a few games before jamal murray got hurt and then that kind of ended um, the, the Nuggets championship hopes a couple of seasons ago. Last year, the whole thing was sort of a waiting game. Jokic carrying this enormous load, and then the Nuggets hoping maybe they'll be healthy by the end of the year, but they weren't. Like, Jamal Murray was never ready to return. Like, now they have a legit championship contending team like they thought they had when they acquired Aaron Gordon, like a lot of us thought they had. Um, and we've seen, like, about all that we could have asked to see in a regular season context. To, to back that up, I think there's still some questions about them um, defensively in the playoffs, but I mean, you can't answer those questions until we get there. You know, there's a lot of folks in uh, the Valley here that are you know, planning a, play, a parade route for the Suns championship, apparently. Uh, I'm a little concerned about whether they're going to be able to stop anybody. I did talk to somebody yesterday who thinks I'm crazy to think that. They'll just outscore the opponent. Uh, so, should there be concerns about the Suns at the defensive end? Uh, I mean, at this point, I, I wouldn't call them concerns. I called them more like questions. I'm curious to see how things shake out for them defensively. Obviously, like much fewer questions about the offensive end of the court for that particular team. They're absolutely loaded. I don't know how 
Um, any team is supposed to contend with that amount of firepower. It, it reminds me a lot um, of the Nets a couple of years ago when they were fully healthy and you had Durant getting some of the easiest looks that he'd ever had in his career. Um, it was a similar sort of thing when he was in Golden State, but like the offense was a, was a little bit different there, just the way it functioned. Like I, I think you'll still see a lot of um, Durant's kind of pet plays being used um, in Phoenix and him doing a similar thing, but he's just also going to get like easy spot-up looks like, that come out of the offense that the Suns run, that come out of Devin Booker making plays and all of that. Um, even just in his first game, some of the threes that he got, like Hornets tried to play zone and Durant just gets the ball and says, well, I, I will bust that zone right now. Thank you very much. Um, the defensive end, look, I mean, they have good defenders on this roster. Kevin Durant himself is an elite defender, I thought, was making a case um, to be on an all-defensive team with the way that he was playing um, before he got hurt. He does things differently than the guys that the Suns gave up. He is not um, that kind of lockdown perimeter defender that Mikhail Bridges was in Phoenix. He's not going to be picking up ball handlers 94 feet and pressing them, but he's a really, really, really good help side defender, rim protector. Um, he is switchable. He's versatile. He's a good communicator. He's a smart defender. He does hold up well one-on-one against stars like when, when he is in that position. Um, so I, I think it's almost it's kind of like a matchup thing, right? Like I think in certain matchups um, when the Suns are kind of leaning on somebody else to come and protect the rim. Like, it gives them more options. It's a little easier if you want to switch Aiden out onto the perimeter when you have KD and Aiden kind of working in tandem, and KD can be that backline guy. That's not something that they really had before when, like, Cam Johnson is starting um, at power forward. At the same time, like, if you're going into a series against the Stephen Curry or Luka Doncic or uh, whoever it might be, like, you, you maybe miss Mikhail Bridges in that scenario on the defensive end because you don't have that one guy that you're like, we're going to stick him on that superstar um, and make his life tougher. There'll be guys on the Suns roster, Josh Okogi, um, you know, Tory Craig, um, who can kind of embrace that role, and I think they will. I'm not sure which one of those guys is going to be in the starting lineup once we're talking about a second-round series. I'm not sure which one of those guys is going to, like, close most of those games. Maybe it's neither of those guys. Maybe they go you know, lean even more into offense and have T.J. Warren out there just getting buckets. Um, but I do think, like, the ideal version of this Suns team is, like, all right, something like the best offense in the NBA, a historically great one, and then a defense that is still, like, if not um, in the top seven, top eight, but, like, a top ten, like, maybe average defensive team at worst. Like, I think the pieces are still there. Um, to be that kind of team. It's just a matter of developing that cohesion over the next little while and figuring out the rotations because I don't think it is obvious kind of how this rotation should look. Um, when you just look at that roster, you have a lot of different players that have different sort of strengths on the wing there um, that could take up that, that kind of fifth spot. He's James Herbert, CBSSports.com, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Sticking in the West for a bit here, how do we assess the Grizzlies? The Grizzlies caught everyone's attention, you know, last postseason, poised to make some noise yet again this postseason, but they did go through a stretch in January and early February where they lost eight of nine games. They have now won three in a row and faced the Nuggets today. So are we believers in the Grizzlies? Is there enough maturity on the team? I am still a believer in the Grizzlies, um, mainly because this entire slide 
that you've seen before this recent three-game winning streak, it, it happened with Steven Adams out of the lineup. And this is a Grizzlies team that, ironically, like before that, they had been known as the team that can overcome any injury. John Morant, um, when he missed a ton of time last year, their Grizzlies absolutely thrived. People sort of going into this season were worried about them being without Jaron Jackson Jr. It didn't matter. They, they won a bunch of games. Desmond Bain goes down. They, they win a bunch of games. Anyway, but um, Stephen Adams' shoes are, have evidently been extremely hard to fill for this team. I, I think it fundamentally changes who they are, um, actually, on, on both ends when he's not on the court. Um, defensively, they're held up maybe a little better than, than some might expect. You've seen some issues. Like, I think Darren Jackson Jr. has a little bit of an easier time avoiding foul trouble when he's out there with Stephen Adams, when he doesn't have to be the backline defender every time um so they miss him in that respect adam maybe has improved a little bit as a pick and roll defender um this year um but offensively is where you've really seen it like they have struggled on that end uh, in a major way uh in, in the past couple of months and that's sort of the big question about them it was already the question about them i think when they were at full strength because they were a good offensive team um but they did it unconventionally like they don't have the half-court weapons that say a team like the Suns does. They don't have um, the, the amount of, you know, the beautiful offense that the Nuggets run through Jokic. Everybody's moving and cutting, and it's just wide-open shots generated pretty much whenever they want. Like, no, they do it by getting stops, running you to death, just playing super-fast brand of basketball, putting a ton of pressure on teams in transition, um, and then by just beating you up on the inside and grabbing offensive rebounds. Like, they have been the best offensive rebounding team in the league for the past few years. And when you don't have Steven Adams, like all of that pretty much goes away. So uh, basically they have had a much tougher time playing to their identity without Steven Adams in a way that has been like, honestly, it's been tougher for them than when they've been without their actual stars. Like Adams in a weird way sort of functions as a star for them. So when I look at their season overall, like, I can't read that much into them sort of flipping and all the sort of blowback about them and all this sort of talk about they need to stop talking trash and they need to um, grow up and all of this. Like, I get why people don't like them, but I think they would be winning a lot more games if they just had their starting center on the court. So as long as we're assuming that he's going to be back before the playoffs, then, you know, my worries are kind of the same as they were at the beginning of the year. Like, what is that half-court offense? going to look like are they going to be able to manufacture um sort of the, the the second chance points the transition points all of that stuff that is like core to who they are um when they're deep in, in a second round playoff series it's not the bigger more existential questions about this team like are they good enough do they have it are they like folding after kind of trying to establish themselves as this new powerhouse like I'm not really buying into all of that stuff. I just think it's more of like a basketball issue. They, they, they need their big guy. Okay, speaking of buying into, uh, did Luka and Kyrie figure out something last night, or is that just a Sixers backcourt that has problems getting stops? <laughs> uh, I, I would lean more toward the latter, um, but offensively is like not really what I'm like super worried about with that team anyway. Like They have had they're kind of foibles and a couple of like notable late game situations before that. Um, even last night they gave up like an 11, nothing run uh, to like a Tyrese Maxey led Sixers bunch, like um, in the final couple of minutes of the game, like it was sort of slipping away from the Mavs a bit, but like, I don't really in the big picture have a lot of doubts about their ability to fill it up. It's, it's like, 
if you asked me kind of the question you were asking me about Phoenix at the beginning about Dallas, like my answer would have been completely different because I don't know um, that this Dallas team is going to be able to get consistent stops um, in the playoffs. I do think they'll be extremely hard to guard with those two guys in the court, and it's a massive luxury to be able to always have one of them on the court uh, throughout a playoff series. So, like, yeah, they have some stuff to figure out. They, they don't naturally necessarily play off each other that well, but I don't know that that matters that much. I mean, they're, they're so gifted individually. They'll be able to cobble it up enough spacing to make lineups work on the offensive end. Like, that, that, that's all good to me. Um, but, I mean, even in last night's game, like, they, they won that game through, like, sheer amazing shot making. Their, their defense was not great. The Sixers were piling up points, too, for, for most of that game, aside from a couple of gold stretches. But, like, that that's kind of how I think the Mavs are going to have to do it. Like, they're, they they just got Maxi Cleaver back. That is good. Um, but just up and down the roster, I don't think they have enough two-way players. I don't think they have enough perimeter defenders. I don't think they have enough rim protection. <laughs> like, I, I think there are just a multitude – of issues for them on that end, like bigger ones that it's hard to solve without roster moves and all the roster moves they made, uh, those, those, those have already been done. So I'm curious as to see how they kind of manage this thing. I'm curious to see um, what Jason Kidd does with the rotation. Um, I was surprised with Josh Green's minutes going down recently and like Justin Holiday taking his spot in the starting lineup, given how well Green was playing. Um, but yeah, I think just the way they have built this team, it's sort of like, we're going to try to outscore you. And if we can't, then like there's no real plan B. He's James Herbert, CBSSports.com, right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I want to flip this over to the East in a team that has already fired their head coach and hired a new head coach. That's Quinn Snyder, hired in Atlanta to a five-year contract. He's already made his coaching debut. Is he the right fit to fix the Trey Young situation in Atlanta and really establish some leadership with this team? Yeah, I like to hire. I I think he could be. Um, I don't know that it will end up being um, this amazing partnership where Trey Young sticks around, they build a championship contender around him again. Like, we'll, we'll see. Like, there, there's some real questions there, and, like, that's not only up to the coaching staff, but I do think um, if you're wanting to build a different kind of team, if you're trying to make um, an offense that's a little less just Trey Young and DeJounte Murray taking turns um, running pick and roll and kind of being stationary outside of that, like, Vince Snyder has like a big track record of um, playing different styles offensively and having a lot of movement-based sets offensively if that's what you want to do. If you want Trey Young's game to evolve a little bit, if you want him to get off the ball, like Quinn Snyder is one of the brightest offensive minds, I think, in basketball. He's been one of the top coaches in the league for a little while. So I, I think like they kind of pounced on him when they had the opportunity. Like That's why you get the five-year deal because – um, Quinn Snyder might have had his, his choice of a few different jobs um, if he had waited until the summer. And Atlanta just, they wanted to get this done now. Um, they, they gave him a big deal to make that happen. And I, I understand why they did that. Like, I still, like, am a little bit conflicted um, about sort of how optimistic I, I should be right now about this team in the short term I, I like he's coming into a situation where it's hard to know how much you can realistically change about the way you play uh, on both ends with such little time in the season and the stakes too right like they are fighting 
um, for playoff slash play-in position here um, with a lot of other teams in the Eastern Conference. Other other teams in that area also have made changes recently and maybe improved, by the way, as well. I mean, the Knicks have basically leapfrogged them. They, they are looking like something like a powerhouse recently, which is, which is a little bit unexpected that Josh Hart is an awesome um, for them, the Raptors uh, just got Jakob Pertl. They lost last night to the Wizards, but other than that, I mean, they've been much better uh, since making that trade. He's kind of transformed their team um, by giving them a different look they didn't have before. Like, Atlanta is in, in a different kind of place. Uh, Sadiq Bey was their big acquisition at the deadline. He did close the game in, in Snyder's first game. The rotation looked very different. Um, so it's interesting that he was at least, like, willing to completely change sort of the substitution patterns and how he wanted to manage games from that perspective. But as far as like the systems and the way that they play, like I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm as curious as anybody about how it will work um, in the short term over the long term. I, I think they made a great hire. I think it'll be great for them, but I do think like the organization um, is kind of trying to recover from, um, you know, a, a trade for DeJounte Murray that like made sense in terms of the kind of player that they got back, I think he on an individual level um, has been good for them, but they just they gave up so much. So the front office does not have a ton of flexibility um, in, in terms of building this roster forward. The John Collins situation remains a little bit just weird. Uh, they've been trying to trade him for like three years. Um, so I don't know what roster Quinn Snyder will be coaching next season, um, but I imagine he'll have some input on that, and they will try to build one that like aligns closely to the sort of values that he believes in right now he's stepping into a situation he had nothing to do with constructing and he's going to try to make the best of it and i think from their perspective they're just trying to sort of see what they can get out of the rest of the season sneak into the playoffs um, maybe they get out of the first round I, I don't think anybody's really predicting that but they need to sort of define who they are and what a quinn snyder hawks team looks like going forward James. Last up for oh, me, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, the Bucks and the Celtics, uh, they're tied for the top. Well, they're, they're vying for the top spot in the East. Home court obviously made a big difference when they played in the postseason last year. Which team do you think has the edge uh, heading into the last you know, month of the month plus of the regular season? Yeah, that, uh, that's a big question. The Bucks are the hotter team right now. I, I think the Celtics, on balance, have been the better team. This year, I have fewer questions about them heading into the playoffs. They're a little deeper, in my opinion. They can play just any style you want. They can play big. They can play small. They can do every type of defensive scheme. Um, their their supporting cast has all improved, and their main guys um, have gotten a little bit more comfortable in kind of the, the, the offense that they're running and how they, they want to play. I don't think Joe Mazzula came in and completely changed all of their offensive sets, they just got the stars off the ball a little bit more. They improved the spacing by changing some of the lineups that they throw out there. They have a little bit more playmaking on the court now that they have Malcolm Brogdon on the team, and everybody just seems so much more comfortable. It hasn't been an entire season of this is the best offense that has ever been played in NBA history like we saw for the first month. Um, but by and large, I mean, they have bought into kind of the way that they want to play um, getting paint touches, moving the ball around, trusting your teammates, making the extra pass, um, playing a, a brand of basketball that is not primarily based on isolation, even though they have a couple of really good isolation players. And the, the idea behind this whole thing is that against a defense like the Bucks or a defense like the Warriors that they saw in the finals last year, that they won't kind of bog down and end up taking a bunch of like tough pull-up jumpers. 
um, and that they'll be able to sustain the kind of flow that at their best even last season like made them look sort of unbeatable. Um, so I've been very encouraged by just kind of the development that we've seen from them as a team. Defensively, they can still sort of do everything. They'll be elite on that end. The Bucks have been a little bit better on that end that they have um, than they have this year, but I still have some questions about their offense. I mean, even in this stretch, like they didn't lose a game in February. They were still, like according to the website Cleaning the Glass, they were the 12th best um, offense in the NBA. And we'll see if that's enough balance for them. In the playoffs, they still have Chris Middleton playing somewhat limited minutes um, coming off of his injury. Um, Joe Ingles has made a good impact. Jay Crowder, they just picked up, and I think he's a like perfect fit on their team. So you're, you're talking about two teams that like might be the two, um, I don't know if you want to say they have better championship odds than like anybody in the left, but like you could make the argument that like the Eastern Conference Finals, if it's them, will end up determining um, the title winner. I lean Celtics. Other people lean Bucks based on how hot they've been lately. Like, I don't know. I just, I just want to see the series. James, fantastic stuff. Appreciate the time as always for us, and we'll be doing this again really soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Once again, he is James Herbert, CBSSports.com, talking all things NBA.